This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash, except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And for this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe and had returned to the table, Jesus said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, Servants are not greater than their master, nor are the messengers greater than the ones who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. <clears throat> Tomorrow evening, our Jewish brothers and sisters around the world will gather to begin their Passover celebration just like Jesus and his disciples did this night 
in Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. At the heart of Passover, of course, is the Seder meal, which, as I'm sure you know, is a ritual reenactment of the Passover story from Exodus. Each food on the Seder plate symbolizes some aspect of the story of the Hebrew people's liberation from captivity in Egypt. A roasted lamb bone represents the Paschal sacrifice itself. Bitter herbs represent the bitterness of slavery. Haroset, which is a mixture of wine, nuts, and apples, represents the mortar used by the Jews in Egypt. A sprig of parsley represents the freedom of new life beyond slavery. And of course, there's also matzah, a cracker-like unleavened bread that represents the bread the Israelites took with them when they fled Egypt, unleavened because they were in a rush and had no time to wait for the bread to rise. And then there is the salt water, too, representing the tears of the slaves. Through the symbolism of different foods, Jewish families remember the narrative that makes them who they are, how God heard the cries of the enslaved Hebrew people, how God raised Moses up to be their prophetic liberator, and how God miraculously led the people across the Red Sea to freedom, caring for them during their wanderings in the wilderness, and ultimately giving to them the Torah, around which Jewish life has been organized and has thrived for thousands of years. It is a remarkable story, and a story that has been preserved largely through the drama of a meal shared around the table. For Christians, however, this sacred meal takes on a whole new and expanded meaning by virtue of what Jesus did this night. When Jesus gathers his disciples one last time, it is no longer just an ancient story of liberation he is telling, but a new one. As Jesus breaks the bread and shares the wine with his friends, the food and drink he offers mysteriously becomes the very gift of his body and blood, the gift of his whole self, in anticipation of what is to come over the next three days. Whereas the bread and wine of the Passover Seder were symbols of past deliverance, the bread of life and the cup of salvation Jesus offers are something more, no mere marker of a distant past, this bread and wine becomes the mystical presence of Christ himself. Jesus promises his followers that he will be with us anytime we share this bread and this wine in his name. And so following the example he set at the Last Supper, at the center of Christian worship is Holy Communion, one of the two great sacraments of his church. Now, during the Reformation, of course, as we know, wars were fought over just how ordinary bread and wine can invoke Christ's presence. The Church of Rome believes that the bread and wine of the Mass literally become the actual body and blood of Christ in the Eucharistic meal. The Reformers, on the other hand, dispute that, fully believing that Christ is present, it's just not physically or literally so. 
And if you want to read about transubstantiation and consubstantiation and all those other theories of Eucharistic theology, I have some books I can lend you. Suffice it to say that it is a sad commentary on our brokenness as God's people, that rather than merely accepting with deep gratitude Christ's presence in this holy meal, instead for centuries Christians killed each other over how it happens, each side more interested in being right than in being grateful. It should be enough, I think, for us merely to accept in faith and thanksgiving that somehow, in this bread and wine, the risen Christ is with us, near us, a part of us, and we a part of him. The Eucharist, you see, at bottom is about God's relentless hospitality and his extravagant welcome. Rowan Williams put it this way, To share in the Holy Communion means to live as a people who know that they are always beloved guests, that they have been welcomed by God himself. By inviting us to his table, Jesus Christ is telling us that his deepest desire is for our company. Think about it. In every culture since the beginning of time, People bond and really get to know one another over meals. Food makes community and draws people together. We throw dinner parties to celebrate the joys of life. Families are formed at the Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner tables. There is no happier occasion than a wedding banquet. And then when someone dies, we bring a casserole to those who mourn, knowing that a simple offering of food will say more about our love for them than any words possibly can. All of these things, they happen around food. And so the very last time Jesus is with his friends, he breaks bread with a loaf in one hand and a cup of wine in the other. Christ identifies his broken body and his spilt blood with the meal his friends are about to share. And then he says, After I am gone, do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't say, believe this or believe that. He says, do this. For this reason, we are a people of word and sacrament in equal measure. Every Sunday, we hear God's word proclaimed in scripture and preached from the pulpit. And that is one very crucial way of coming to know God by understanding his story and how we are a part of that story. But sometimes words are not enough when only gathering together around the table and prayerfully sharing a meal will do. The Lord's Supper is something we touch and we taste. It is an act of memory, solidarity, and hope that we don't think about so much as experience with our senses. It reminds us of our common past, sitting at table with Jesus and his friends, just as it points us ahead also to the promise of the heavenly banquet that awaits us all in the future. 
Now, occasionally, I hear people say that they are reluctant to take communion because they don't feel worthy enough to receive Christ's presence. But what I tell them is this. The Lord's table is not a reward for good behavior, but a place for sinners to find forgiveness and grace. We share in Holy Communion not because we are doing well, but because we are doing badly. Jesus wants us to bring to the altar our troubled marriage, our cancer diagnosis, our worries about our children, our loneliness, our grief, all of our brokenness. And there he will take all these things upon himself and give us in return the food and drink we need for the rest of our journey. Sometimes I also hear people whisper that we really should not be giving young children communion because they don't understand what they are doing. Well, guess what? None of us understands what we are doing. <laughs> Christ's presence in this holy meal, how he becomes a part of us and we a part of him, it's all mystery. We offer communion to children because we want them to know and to feel that they, too, are beloved guests of Jesus, always wanted at his table, and fed by him just like a mother feeds her children. As we relive the Last Supper tonight and remember Jesus' presence with his disciples around the table, my prayer is that you might begin to experience this holy meal in a new way that this bread will become for you the very bread of life, and this wine the cup that saves. And I pray, too, that as you approach the altar, you will accept Christ's invitation to cast all of your pain, all of your worry, all of your regrets and fears upon him, that you will let him take these burdens from your shoulders and place them on his that you will again feel yourself to be a wanted and beloved guest at Christ's table, and that you will walk away feeling nourished and knowing that you are forgiven, you are healed, you are blessed, and you are empowered to do Christ's work in this world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved. <laughs>